There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. And if you did not check out last week's episode, I was talking with my buddy, Zach Goroszewski, about our top five favorite drive through releases. And I mean, that, that bad boy, we talked for about three hours on drive through Records, something that we probably could have talked about for another three. Easily could have done a six-hour episode. I don't think anyone wants to hear us talk for six hours. But anyway, tonight is the second half of uh, that that uh, discussion with Zach. But just want to let you know real quick, if you have not checked out last week's episode, you might want to go back and listen to that first because uh, this kind of this is the second part of it, so it will probably make more sense if you go back and listen to that. If you've already listened to it, thanks for listening to that episode, and we got the rest for you right now. So I will not bore you anymore. Let's get back into our discussion of top five favorite drive-through record releases with uh, me and my buddy Zach Gorshevsky right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast. But getting back to our uh, you know getting back to our favorite releases, my second favorite release and. Uh, a classic, I think extremely underrated. You mentioned them earlier as uh, one of my favorites. But the Benjamins with the Art of Disappointment. I mean, this to me, we talk about underrated drive through albums. This is this is it to me. In my opinion, this is the most underrated drive through release that they ever put out. This record, the band, the band kind of fucked, they didn't fuck themselves over. But being on drive through, I think, was a gift and a curse for them. Because I love them, and I think one of the things I like about the Benjamins is I thought that they could go play with, like, say, Newfound Glory. But then could also go play with, like, a band like Super Drag or Not A Surf. You know, kind of more like an alt-rock band or an indie band. Because they were kind of a, they were probably more of a power pop band, more than anything. Like, I... I'm uh, buddies with a couple of the guys, the uh, the bass player, Benny. I've hung out with him a little bit. He's a good dude, my buddy. And uh, Johnny, their drummer, I've talked to online throughout the years. And he's a really good dude as well. I mean, both both very good dudes. But, uh, you know, spending time with Ben and kind of talking to him about the band and knowing what music he listens to, they were never – like, if you talk to that guy, there's other guys in drive through bands where I feel like – they were into what drive through was doing. And, you know, you might talk to like, like when I was talking to Joe of hidden in plain view, like, I mean, there were probably other drive through bands that he was into. Whereas when I kind of talked to like, like Ben and stuff from the Benjamins, not that he didn't like drive through bands, but it's like, that's not where they were coming from. You know, like I think their influences and what they were listening to was kind of different. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons why they're underrated and maybe didn't get all the attention they deserved because while I don't think that, it's not that it's like you wouldn't listen to the Art of Disappointment and go, oh, my God, how was this on drive-through records? It's not that crazy different, but they're kind of like the RX bandits where it's like, you know, after a while, they weren't the, you know, they weren't the typical drive-through band per se. Like the Art of Disappointment came out, I believe, in 2001. And if you look at the other stuff that was coming out in 01 on drive-through records, it's not as pop punk, you know, it's not, and it's definitely not scream or anything like that. I mean, it, it's nowhere. Definitely not. Yeah. It's not, you know, they're not a band like, uh, you know, like Finch or census fail or hidden in plain view. And, but same with that too. They also don't have that like hardcore, like side, like newfound glory and stuff. I mean, I would say at times they definitely have pop punk elements. And like I said, I think, I think it made sense when they toured with drive through bands. Like I know, uh, Ben was telling me they toured with Alistair and stuff. 
and uh, and I mean a bunch of other drive through bands too. But I mean there were ones that they got along with and they liked and I think were fans of. But uh, yeah, I mean we're not just weren't the same thing. You know, I don't think they were the same kind of band. They weren't a SoCal punk band. They were a band from Wisconsin. You know, I think they liked a lot of power pop and a lot of different things that maybe weren't the uh, typical drive through thing at the time. But, uh, you know, I think that's part of the reason why it was underrated. And I think, like, I think drive through they love those. Like, I know I've talked to, uh, I mean, like, like I don't know them like you do, but I think online, I don't know, like on Twitter or something, telling Stephanie once or twice, like, you should, mentioning that record, like, you should press it on vinyl or this and that. And she's always said that's a great, I'm pretty sure she said it was, like, one of her favorite drive through releases, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, I think they stand behind it. It's not that the label didn't stand behind it or didn't, like, help out with it. I just think... It was a band that, like, was – they were a little pop punk but never were – they weren't trying to be, though. Like, that was the thing is they weren't trying to be mm-hmm. the starting line or, like, Newfound Glory or any of that. So they're a little different. So I think that that's part of why they were just never as big as a lot of the other bands who, you know, came out on Drive Through 2001. But, uh, you know, Art of Disappointment to me, it's just – it is. It's that really nice because it never leans too far into anything. It, it has pop punk, but it's not, like – a cheesy pop punk record or anything. It's a little more, you know, it is a little more mature. It's almost like, it's kind of like, if you look at like, say it like you mean it and you have that and it's written by like someone in their teens, I feel like the art of disappointment is kind of like pop punk once it's a little older, like not old, but it's like kind of like pop punk once it hits like it's mid twenties. Like I think, cause I've always loved that record and I found it when I was like, I was 19 when I got it. And this, I, I think I talked about it a little on uh when I was talking about drive through records on the podcast before, but that album, I found at FYE and I bought it because they had the drive through logo on it. I really didn't know much about the Benjamins. I may have heard uh 3750 to one. I think I might've heard that song. So I probably had the welcome to the family comp, but if I did, that was the most I knew about the Benjamins. I knew the one song and uh, I picked up that record at FYE because it had the drive through logo on it, but you listen to it. And at the time I was a fan of it, but as I get older, I like it more and more because like I was saying, it's like it's pop punk, but it's not entirely, but it's like it's mature. It's kind of more mature pop punk, you know, like in a way where it's like the lyrics are a little more mature. Like my favorite song on it is Dr. Frank was right. And it's like to me, it's still very it's it's is I'm, I'm going to use the word emo. I hate using that word, but the lyrics are as emo as say like some of the starting line lyrics are. But it's more emo from, I would say, someone in, like, college or post-college than, say, you know, someone in high school. You know, like, like if you listen to Say It Like You Mean It to think about the girl broke your heart in high school, you listen to Art of Disappointment and they like the girl broke your heart in college. Like, if that, if that kind of makes sense, it's like the next – it's kind of like the next step up in, in like, I, I guess maturity. I don't know. Sometimes it's weird to say an album is mature. But I just think it's a great record and a one-and-done from them. They, they put out uh, – before that, they put one EP out, and then they did put out a great EP back in uh, 2013, uh, the Back on Track EP on uh, Johnny, their drummer, Goodland Record, his, his label, Goodland Records, which I would say definitely go, including right now, if you're listening to this when this comes out, because my dude Johnny is a musician and everything, and you know, with, with all this shit going on, bands can't play, and uh, I, I know he runs, being a musician and also running a record label, this is a terrible time all that so yeah if you're, if you're uh, listening to this you should go you should go support and go find that uh benjamin's back on track ep on goodland records because uh you know go go support johnny and them because he's a really good dude good label and at this time could probably use some uh, help while all these venues and shit are shut down but anyway 
yeah, band that just, you know, not a lot out there, kind of like the, ste- well, I guess more in the stellar life in the sense that at least they have a full length out, but kind of like the stellar life in that way where it's like not a whole lot out there. You know, you go look them up and it's like you can you can go listen to their whole discography in about two hours. You can hear like everything they ever put out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sad we never got more from them. But the Art of Disappointment is just, it's really good and it's also a testament to drive through records, I would say, because... Like I keep saying, it doesn't sound like everything else that was on the label at the time, and it also shows that they would take chances because it's not. It, I don't. I don't know that they ever signed the Benjamins. Going, this band is gonna, you know, make us millions. I think they truly signed them because they're a good band because they liked what they were doing. You know, I don't. I what I really like about Richard and Stephanie is with Drive Through Records. You look at the bands they signed, and I do feel like there was quality control there where they signed bands if they liked them. I don't think they just signed bands to sign them. Like with major labels. Oh, definitely. Yeah. When it's, it's your, definitely. And you can talk about that because you know them. And it's like with me. Ma- I know Richard. But, yeah, definitely. That, that's how Richard is. He doesn't sign anyone if he doesn't like them. And if he thinks they're shit, he will definitely not sign them. <laughs> and he'll be he'll be up front. He'll, he'll say their shit to the face. I respect that so much, though, because all you ever hear are these horror stories from, like, record, you know, like major labels or bands say, you know, they got screwed over by a major label. And it's always the same thing where just choose the era. You go Nirvana was big. So this major label was signing everything that sounded like Nirvana. You know, Blink-182 was big. So this major label signed anything that sounded like Blink-182. You know, you always hear those things. drive Through Records didn't do that. drive Through Records instead was the label that were putting out those bands that I mentioned earlier, everyone started ripping off. Like like when Emo yes. and Screamo got big, they were the ones who had already put out like Finch and Senses Fail. Like they were putting out those bands before that shit got big. Same with like... So, okay. So leading into this, can, can I... Uh... Can I hijack? Go right ahead, I hijack dog. This conversation. Go right ahead. So, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm totally gonna tell my origin story of how I met Richard. Do it up. Um, I, this is very interesting. So, I was balls deep in newfound glory at the time, and I was really just obsessed with newfound glory, and just like I knew that. They were kind of associated with Blink-182. I knew that the guitarist played Tom DeLonge Strats, which I was also, like, fascinated with. And um, so I did a guitar cover, and I was doing – I was really big into those. And, like, from, like, 2008 to 2012 or 13, and I would do these guitar covers, and – um. They got some traction. I'm not gonna lie. They got, they had like at least like a couple thousand views. Like every time I uploaded, not like insane views, but like at least like two or three thousand. And um, I uh, did one cover, and it was "Head on Collision" by Newfound Glory off of Sticks and Stones, their uh, 2002 album. And uh, I kind of just like uploaded that, and I let it sit, and then uh. I was always like checking my inbox on YouTube because uh, as like, a, I don't even know, like a 14 year old, I wasn't like checking my email. I was checking my YouTube inbox and uh, I got a, I got an email or I got a, a YouTube message, like a private message from this guy, which turned out to be Richard from the owner of drive through records. And uh, he was like, I liked your newfound glory cover. I'm actually the guy who signed newfound glory. 
And like, as like a skeptic, like 14 year old, I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I, I was like, no, like, cause YouTube was just like, everyone was trolling everyone. And if you don't know what trolling means, it's just like, everyone was just trying to like, fuck with everyone. Oh dude. If someone told like, the thing is too, like, me and you are such fans of drive through now that it's like we know who Richard and Stephanie are, and I feel like a lot of people who are fans of drive through know who they are. But for the most part, no one – you know what I mean? Like as far as A&R guys go, yeah, like it's not like you would know off the top of your head when he goes like I signed – like you'd look at the name and go, oh, yeah, it's Richard. Like of course he signed him. So I totally see why you'd be skeptical that some guy just tells you that he signed New Font Glory. Like you don't know who the hell the a and like anyone could say that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was like 14 years old. He was like, my name is Richard Rines. I signed Newfound Glory before they were like Newfound Glory. And uh, I was just like, no, you didn't. And, and he just kind of convinced me. He went back and forth through email and eventually like switched to text. And uh, then after that, uh, he like asked if I wanted to bring my band and myself to Chicago and uh, hang out with um, a band that he was working with at the time, which was All Star Weekend, which was like they were on a like a subset label of like Disney Channel Records at the time. They were pretty big um, too, weren't they? Yeah, uh, they they so like you know how like the Jonas Brothers had like a music video on like Disney Channel in between like the Disney Channel shows. Oh, yeah. So did all. So did All Star Weekend. Oh yeah, that's huge exposure. I mean, that's that's. I mean, anything Disney, obviously, and yeah, being on, uh, being on the Disney Channel, yeah, that's some really good exposure. Yeah. So, uh, so he was like, I manage All Star Weekend, and uh, you know, I'd love to have your band come up. So, after kind of just like talking to my dad for like ever. Cause I was like 15. I was like, Hey, can we go like hang out with this guy that manages some bands that like, I really <laughs> like, uh, and like signed one of my favorite bands, uh, you know, when I was young and like, he really didn't take it from me, but like what made it work was when I gave Richard, my dad's number, uh, Richard actually called my dad while I was at school and, uh, had a conversation with my dad. And then, so we eventually went up to Chicago hung out with all-star weekend and uh richard and it was just a really good time we we hung out with the band and we lost my bass player he was sticking his hands up of uh girl shirts uh it, it was literally like there were like th- thirteen thousand like single women there that were like around <laughs> our age not thirteen thousand thirteen hundred i'm sorry but still still a lot like, we were like, where is Max? And then we like looked down <laughs> on the floor and then like Max has like hand up this girl shirt and like they're like dancing to like Disney Channel Rock. <laughs> oh hell yeah. <laughs> and that's how he met his first wife. Uh, no, no. Def- definitely not. <laughs> but um Yeah, it was just like a really unique experience. Like we like walked around chicago we he took like a a press photo of us and like nothing happened because what actually what ended up happening was he wanted us to come to california 
to like hang out with him and maybe potentially record an EP. And uh, my parents didn't want that to happen, and neither did any of the other band members' parents because we were just so young. And um, I, I know that that's like the prime age of like signing artists because that way they can grow with you. Um, but I, I think it was partially my fault because like if I really wanted to do it, uh, I would have done it. But, you know, I really wanted to finish high school and obviously I wanted to go to college. So um, I, I don't know. I think I made the right decision. Um, but me and Richard are still really good friends to this day. He's still a bro. We still text all the time. Uh, he still gives me shit all the time. Uh, he's just a really funny guy. And, uh, you know, I'm, like, happy that I had that, like, situation happen to me because, you know, I think it made me, like, in, a, in hindsight – like it made me work harder as like a pop punk musician because like he would always tell me he was like you're the, like you love pop punk so much like that genre is dead and I would always be like I'm gonna break I'm gonna revive this myself like I'm gonna single handedly revive pop punk and he'd be like okay Zachy <laughs> like, I like that. He'd be like, okay, you do what you want. <laughs> and, uh, All right, go I defend would, pop punk. I'd be like I'd be like so adamant about it. And uh he would he, he totally knew that like it wasn't gonna happen. And that's like kinda what I appreciate about him because like after I kinda like grew up and realized like pop punk wasn't gonna happen again. I mean, whoever knows, like it could happen, but uh for the most part, um we he kind of like made me realize that was not going to happen again and uh you know he turned me on to some really great other artists like uh one of his newer bands is called the rex and the rex are really good uh they have a song called uh my favorite liar or favorite liar i'm sorry and it is a really great track so if anyone wants to check out a really good track that's like reminiscent of drive through records but it's also like modern check out the wrecked favorite liar and you know that that you you bring up a good point of what i think is a strong point of uh of drive through records and of richard and stephanie is that it could be very easy for richard to be set in his ways and go i signed all these pop punk bands and like you know and die on that hill basically go this is, you know, this is my legacy. This is all I do. But he has that where it goes, you know, he signed all those bands and was so responsible for a lot of that early 2000s pop punk sound. But he can realize when to walk away from that. You know what I mean? Like that says something where oh, like current 100%. day he's not trying yet yeah, to like shit out another band that sounds like the starting line or something. Like I don't I don't think they ever did that, you know, which once again goes back to what we were talking about how like they were never the ones putting out those bands who were ripping off the other ones. They were putting out basically the bands that other bands would go to rip off, but they wouldn't go sign those bands. You know what I mean? Like they had, I don't even remember what he said exactly, but uh, for people who don't know, dashboard was signed dashboard confessional was signed to drive through records for like a hot minute. 
And uh, I heard an interview he did with, uh, like, Alternative Press years ago. It's an old podcast, probably still out there. Really, actually a really good podcast to go check out if it if you can still find it. This was, like, over a decade ago. But I also remember listening to it, and Richard turned me on to the Jesus and Mary chain during that because he uh, played them. But anyways, what he said in there is kind of along the lines of that, is we had the original Dashboard Confessional. Why would we sign another? Because I think that's what they asked him in there. It's like, did you ever think after, like, Dashboard Confessional, like, why didn't you sign more bands that sounded like that? Or, like, after Senses Fail, why didn't you sign more bands like that? And he said something along those lines of, we had the originals. Why would we, why would we do that? Like, we had Dashboard Confessional. Why would we get, like, a watered-down version you know, same with like census fail and shit. We had the good, you know, we had the bands who were good. Why would we, why would we grab a band just because they vaguely sound, you know, similar to a band that had some success on our label? But that does, that speaks volumes that he can go, you know, and also that he can go through all these different eras too. Cause you know, drive through kind of started more as a punk and ska label and kind of as that thing evolved and it kind of turned into something different, you know, he kind of I feel like they evolved with the times and also had a lot of, uh, you know, kind of responsibility, like I said, for the sound that got popular. But, you know, they never died on one hill, basically. They never said, we're a ska label, so in 2003 we're still releasing ska records. No, they didn't do that. They started putting out pop-punk records. And after that, you know, they kind of started putting out the heavier post-hardcore stuff. And then look at that. By 2007, look at Hello Goodbye. I mean, Hello Goodbye was huge. You know, listen to Here in Your Arms. That doesn't sound like, you know, what they were doing five years prior. They changed with the times, but in a good way, not like a, and not in a desperation way either of like, well, what's popular now? They changed when they saw it it made sense. You know, they went, okay, this sound is kind of, you know, it's been done. It's like on to the next thing. And I think that's important and also why we're still talking about the label to this day. You know, a label that's not even really active and, you know, I mean, does things on and off, but really hasn't been fully active since what 2007 2008 would be the last time they were like you know pro you know like actually putting out a bunch of different releases not just one-offs like putting out releases putting out comps and dvds and stuff it's been well over a decade plus now and the fact that we're still talking about them is because richard and stephanie you know i mean the best a and r people probably in in my opinion like the two best a and r people in the world like really like you look at the bands they signed and that was them you know it wasn't it wasn't like an A&R department. It was them signing them. And then, you know, same with that. I and mean, we talked about a little with, the, with uh, the starting line. And I won't say a whole lot about it because I just don't know all the uh, all the specifics. But, you know, like with those upstreaming deals with Geffen that drive through got fucked on, where basically Geffen could, could, like, grab bands from the drive through roster and go, okay, they're ours now. And, you know, with that, though, you look at it and you go – all those bands that ended up on major labels like the starting line and uh, I'm trying to think of some others like the starting line did. I want to say Phoenix TX. No, I, yeah, I think Lechuza might have yeah, been. They did. Yes. Uh, it was on MCA. MCA. That's right. So yeah, there's like, um, a, you know, any other starting ones? line, newfound glory, uh, yep, Phoenix. Found. Um, actually, I want to say homegrown was too, but I no they it, no they weren't because they they didn't have enough because Kings of Pop was was drive through then they put out an EP on drive through and then they broke up they may have uh, been, something corporate was definitely on uh, yes Gaffin. yes you're you were right about that yeah their uh, second one their second record I can't think of North I think was uh was Geffen but no anyway. dude uh, leaving through a window was definitely on Geffen oh that was too oh shit's or MCA. 
Oh, okay. So then the only one that was really, I mean, like they had and the drive. Finch, to, too. You know, Finch oh, was. Oh, yeah. Too. Finch was for the second record, though, right? What it is to burn was no, drive. What did it, no, what it is to burn was on MCA. Oh, really? Okay. No, I don't think I realized that. Yeah. But see, this is a good example. Like I was saying is those bands ended up on major labels, but it's not like major labels found them. They were on drive drive through found them. Like Richard and Stephanie yeah. found those bands. Like they're the ones who created and are responsible for that, you know, for that pop punk sound. I always say it, but I mean that's that's the defining sound of an era. I mean, that is such a huge thing to say a label is responsible. I'm saying that label was was responsible for popular music within the fucking punk scene for like five years. Like anything that happened from from like 2000 to 2005, like the trends in like punk rock music, you know, the style, all that stuff was drive through. Drive through was the label, man. That was the, you know, I mean, that label meant so much to music and to people at that time, you know, that to the fact that they were that impressionable on it. You know, I mean, there were a lot of, there were a lot of other great labels too at that time, but none like drive through. I mean, the fact like a. I've mentioned it before on the show when I was talking about my favorite record labels. Most people don't know this much about labels. Like, we're sitting here gushing over a record label. Most people don't know who the hell releases, you know, their favorite stuff. Like, including, like, major labels. Like, no one's doing, like, their top five favorite, like, Geffen record releases. Like, people don't do that. You know, it's labels labels like this that are so damn special, you know, years later. And it's because... They didn't screw it up and try to, like, you know, beat a dead horse or anything like that. Like, we're not looking back going, yeah, drive Through Records was really good for three years, and then they started signing every band that sounded like Newfound Glory. You know, they didn't do that. And I think in the long run, you know, look at it. They probably could have made even more money. The funny thing is if they would have done that, they probably would be filthy rich off of it. But they didn't, and what they got instead is the longevity of it where we're still talking about to this day. You know, they create a product in the end that – has longevity that you can talk to, you know, that we don't forget about it. There's a lot of labels that went by the wayside from, you know, the early 2000s, late 90s that we don't remember, that we're, you know, we don't talk about because we don't remember. I'm sure they put out great releases, but no one's talking about them. But with drive through people still love them. I get emails about it. That's the other thing why I love, you know, talking about them on the podcast so much. You know, it's not the first time I mentioned them, far from the last time I mentioned them on here. But it's it's that. I mean, there's something... There's something special about them that we can talk about and people still like it because I do. I get emails and stuff from people who go like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Like they like hearing this stuff because it's nostalgic for them and they remember all these stories that we're talking about. You know, I mean, in years earlier, like me and you kind of discovered them after the fact. But there's so many people who were there when this stuff was coming out who, you know, saw drive through bands on the drive through stage at Warp Tour or, you know, remember going to the record store to buy like the drive through records DVD. So, you know, that that label really created something special that a lot of labels just can't do. That labels, you know, a lot of labels have no faces and no one really cares for them. But Drive Through Records, I would argue, was as important as the bands that they released. I mean, honestly, like people love them. I agree. Like, right? Like, people don't do that with every label. People really don't. Like, people don't give a shit about half the record labels out there. And it's just the truth. I mean, you know, I love a good record label with a great roster, but it's just the fact, you know, people like the bands and they don't think about the labels as much, but with drive through, you know, it's, it's kind of the opposite. People love drive through, you know, and, and with good reason, but anyways, let's, uh, you know, as we're kind of closing up here, it's time to get to our number one. And I guess I kind of screwed yours up. I guess people probably already know, but Zach, what is your number one? Surprise us all. 
It is say it like you mean it. Oh shit! Did not guess that. (laughs) That that is. I only said that during the what it is to burn. (laughs) You know, so so I mean, you know, we talked about a little bit already, man. But go ahead. I mean, if you got anything else to add about this, man, go go on. What what makes it your favorite drive-through release? Okay, well. First of all, it's just obviously a great pop punk album. Like Up and Go just has all the elements of a great pop punk song. And it's the opening track of the album. Um, I actually told Richard at one point, um, I told him that, that Say It Like You Mean It and like Enema of the State are kind of synonymous for me because they're both really great albums that I can't stop at all when I'm listening to them and uh, he was surprised by that because I don't know I mean obviously like Blink's so much bigger than the starting line but um, I was just I was really into this album Um, when I I obviously found probably um, the best of me when I was in high school and uh, I, I listened to that track over and over again. I thought it was a really good song. And then through that, I found, like, Bedroom Talk. And then, like, uh, you know, um, the Direction album and everything. But it wasn't until college that I listened to all of Say Like You Mean It. And uh, it couldn't have been the most relatable time because um, I was actually – to me, this album is about dealing with a long distance relationship. I could see that. that. That's what this album is to me because it's like literally the album cover is someone sitting on a couch with a phone. And uh, to me, uh, this album is like literally dealing with a long distance relationship. Um, when I listen to this album all the way through, I was dating a girl in my hometown while I was away at school. And we were at long distance, of course. And I would hear songs like A Good Night's Sleep and Cheek to Cheek, where it was just like, you know, I knew that like we were together but it didn't feel like we were together and there was like something separating us and um I feel like (laughs) I literally listened to this album and I I became more aware of my situation at the time really um yes because I I just feel like this album literally just like was singing about what I was going through at that specific moment. And I know Kenny was what, 17 when he wrote that album, but he went on tour and he left like what, probably like his high school girlfriend back at home and he was away from her. And they were probably like, uh, you know, he probably wrote that album about that girl that like he left back at home. And I was at college, like thinking about a girl that I left back at home. You know, that's really interesting. I never 
I never thought about it, but it's like I, I think you're totally right that, that that album has a lot to do with long distance relationship. I never I never thought of that all that much, but it's funny. Like I mean, like you're saying with the if you know the album cover, anyone who uh, hasn't seen it, I mean it it is quite literally a chick on the on the couch, like with the phone to her ear, and you know, album's called "Say It Like You Mean It," and it's kind of I guess you do you kind of start thinking about that, and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense, and you think of some of the lyrics. And everything, and uh, yeah, I mean, even Kenny, like you were saying, you know, going out and touring for the first time, probably leaving his high school girlfriend behind, you know, I, I, I can definitely see that. And also, how good is that? It, it goes back to what a good songwriter he is. You can listen to that, you can relate to it to the point where you go, it sounds like you wrote it for me. And like you were saying, it made you realize your situation even more, which that's good songwriting. Like to me, yeah. that's damn good songwriting. I think you'd agree. You're, when you write a song, I mean, for you personally as well, it's like you're trying to convey emotion in someone. You want someone to hear that song and get something out of it. You know what I mean? You don't want them just to listen to it and just go, oh, it sounded nice. You would like them, you know, ultimately you'd like them to feel something when they hear it and you'd like them to relate relate it to their life somehow. And, uh, you know, I mean, to, to be able to do that to an entire album too, not just a song, to have an entire album that really does that, you know, I think is really saying something. And, uh, you know, how about that one? What's your favorite song off Say It Like You Mean It? Can I give you two? I don't give a shit, dude. You can give me three. Well, I'm going to give you three. So <laughs> my... Okay, do it up. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you uh, the top to the bottom. So it's going to be Cheek to Cheek is my number one. Nice. I, I just think that that song has an insane pop punk riff. And, uh... Literally, the lyrics are just, like, really beautiful. And, like, A Good Night's Sleep, it's just, like, it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to sleep with another dude, you know, go ahead and do it. I don't want to hear about it. Sleep in your own uh, bed tonight. Sleep in your own bed tonight, you know. Quit sleeping in other dudes' beds. <laughs> uh, and Up and Go is obviously, like, one of my other favorites, like, when I sit down and I plug in my Tom DeLonge Stratocaster and I want to listen to some uh, Say It Like You Mean It, I play those three tracks, Up and Go, Cheek to Cheek, and A Good Night's Sleep. That's a fun but, album to play along to. Oh, definitely. That uh, I, I'd, say, I'd say my favorite song on there has to and you, you picked all good. It's another one. There's not a bad song on it, so it's like I, I got – I know it just sounds like we're agreeing with one another the whole time, but it goes back to just how good these albums are. It's like, there's not a bad Definitely. song. Yeah, like, there's no... I can't sit here and oh. say, you picked bad songs. They're all good. Oh, none of the songs are bad. No, there's uh, not it's one just bad like, one. Th- those are, like, my favorites. Mine has to be Saddest Girl Story. I just... It's it's the energy of it. Like, that's what I love about it. That song, to me, just... it And it's, like, not even... I'll say this. There's probably other songs on there that I would relate to more or go like maybe on a more lyrical level or something. I go like, okay, I relate to that one more. But as far as just my favorite song, just in the sense of I love, you know, it, it's just, it's fast, it's loud. It's just, it's a pop punk song. That's all it is. It's a fast pop punk song. And that's what I love about it. I actually remember in uh, in college back in 2014, when I was uh, still in community college, one of my last classes, I did like a music, the history of like American music. It was something like that. But uh, our last project was to do like a presentation of a band and then kind of like describe them like through a po- like 10 PowerPoint slides. It was like, and it kind of used some music theory, like, you know, like different, different things about them, like 
I think some of the chord progressions they use, like their what their genre would be considered, kind of talk about their biography and stuff. And I use that song. I talked about about the starting line, and then for you know you you want a good example of the band. So I use that song. I'm like, you know, the, the kids in this class aren't really going to know the starting line. Maybe one or two people did, but it's like, you know, in 2014, you know, I'm the only 21 year old who's like, you know, listening to the starting line. Maybe that's not true, but you know, a lot of a lot of others didn't didn't know who the hell they were. Everyone loved it. I mean, I, I remember the teacher was into it too, but like that's such a good representation of that band because you play that for people who had never heard them. You know, I played it for a classroom full of people who never heard the starting line. And they were all into it because they got, you know, they got the, what they were going for. Because, you know, even people in there who, you know, maybe aren't pop punk fans or know much about it. You know, they know like Blink-182 and Green Day and whatnot. And they're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's like that. But, you know, even even kind of faster and a little more like, to me, kind of more what pop punk is. You know, it's polished. I agree. But Dude, I so agree with that. Isn't it? It's a great just representation of like, like this is a pop I, punk I'd band. say that Green Green Day is more punk than the starting line is punk yes that's a good yes you're right starting about line that. is more pop punk than green day is pop punk. yes i would i would want i i know exactly what you're saying and i agree 100 percent with that and uh yeah i mean like everyone loved it like everyone's really stoked on it because it is it's just yeah, i i love catchy. i'll just say this over and over again i love say like a minute and it got me through a serious time and just made me think about like what I was going through. And, uh, literally like if you haven't listened to say like you mean it and you're in a long distance relationship, listen to it, but don't cry. (laughs) And also don't call up your ex girlfriend feeling all emo (laughs) saying that like you miss her after. Do you listen to starting line say it like you mean it? Because that's a fucking mistake. <laughs> I will tell you from experience. <laughs> I lo- I like that. I would I would go one step further and say, get yourself in a long distance relationship just to get into this record. Go f- go get in a long distance. Go go meet no, someone. Anthony, get Anthony, a long distance relationship and fuck up your own relationships. You can relate to this album. I would go that far. This album is so good. You should go fuck up any prospects of a happy future <laughs> with your significant other, <laughs> so you can relate to this. Damn it, Anthony! <laughs> I, I, no, good thing this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a good thing it's a podcast, so people can listen to this for years now. And people, people in 2040, someone's going to be listening to this and go like, you know, I thought I wanted, I wanted to find the perfect girl. I guess that's wrong. I want to relate to this pop punk album that came out 40 years ago. All the, at, the, at this point, Kenny Vasoli's like 70. Actually, that's, I, I'm saying that like it's a long time. It's like 20 years from now. I don't know. Kenny Vasoli's like in his 40s or something. I don't know. You he's all get what I'm saying. Now. He's like, he's like 30. He'll be like in his 50s. Is he? Yeah, I guess he would be. He's still fucking young, though. Like, I'm trying. I I looked this up the other day. I don't remember what his age is, but it's insane when you think about it. He's like 32 or something. Because I was thinking about the other thing when I saw I saw them on the Say It Like You Mean It tour they did in 2013, which they didn't play the whole record front to back. Certain shows they did. The one I saw, what they did instead, which I can't complain. They probably Say It Like You Mean It has, I think, 12 or 13 tracks, and they played nine. Which I will. Here's my bitch, though. They didn't play Saddest Girl Story. They played almost every single song on that record except for my favorite. They didn't play that. I don't think they played The Ride. 
and uh, or I'm sorry, this ride, and uh, there was another one they didn't play. And I was actually surprised by the third one. It was a song you would have thought they would have played. Like, Saddest Girl Story, I guess I kind of get because, like, it's my favorite, but it's kind of it's kind of like my favorite on Sticks and Stones, where it's like it's a little later on in the album. You know, it's not the single. It's a little, you know, it's a little further in, you know, so I feel like people kind of forget about it. But, uh, yeah, I saw them play most of it live. But uh, even then, what I was getting at is that, that was for the 10th anniversary of Say It Like You Mean It. And Kenny Vasoli at that time was how old I am now. He would have been 27, and he was celebrating the 10th anniversary of a record, which I'm pretty sure went gold, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's a gold record. Either way, sold a ton of albums for them. Like like you were saying, they're not as big as Green Day. They're not a household name. But as far as like pop punk goes, that's a big band. You know what I mean? Like, oh hell yeah! Not mainstream, but as far as just in this scene, that's a that's a big band. They're one of they're a, they're a uh, pretty large band, I would say. So that's insane to think that like like at 27 you're celebrating the 10th anniversary of this record that was huge for your band and huge, one of the best selling probably drive through records you know albums. I mean, like I was saying earlier too, like I would think Hello Goodbye. I bet Hello Goodbye, I would say Newfound Glory had probably the most like records sold. I bet Hello Goodbye sold the most singles. I bet Here in Your Arms, like because so, that was also an era of digital too. You know, that was kind of the beginning of iTunes where you could just buy the singles. And I feel like Here in Your Arms was probably like the best selling. Um, you'll have to ask Richard this sometime, but I imagine like their best selling is probably like Here in Your Arms as far as like singles go. As far as albums sold, I bet it's Newfound Glory. But starting line was up there. Say like you mean it has to be up in like one of their best selling. You know what I mean? Like I would, I would. No, dude, I know no? what you mean. I, I mean, I, I've said, I, I feel like I've said as much as I can about say like you mean it. It's come to no surprise that I'm with you. I mean, it, of course, it, it's one of the best. Uh, any I want clo- to know your number one now. Well, thank you, dude, because I was about to say it. I went like with your number five being a comp. My first is a compilation and I guess if you're if you're sitting at home going nah dude that doesn't count then I guess Art of Disappointment would be my number one but if compilations count drive through records you'll never eat fast food again my number one pick and it's kind of it's the same reason why I think you you picked Welcome to the Family it really defines a certain era of uh you know of of drive through records um and it's the early one it's the it's basically the beginning. Yeah, that's it is early. I mean, that's a that's a 20 plus year album now. And it really it shows the early side of the of the uh, of drive through records, you know, a lot less polished than uh, a lot of the bands later on. It shows the bands really young. I mean, that's like like newfound glories on there when they were still a newfound glory. And it's like early. Yeah, like early shit from nothing gold can stay like right after they were off Fiddler Records going to uh you know going to drive through phoenix tx i they you know what i want to say they were still river phoenix on there and if they weren't they had just changed their name like a lot of bands like that were like that's them starting out and on top of that um i mean some of my favorite like you know the, the names i'm about to say probably people have never heard unless you're like a really hardcore drive through fan i'm sure there's some you may haven't even listened to dude but like Mother Mania, Cousin Oliver, Caught Inside, Last Summer, um, even, I believe, 12 Gallons was their name, which never put out a uh, full length, but they did the Carter the Cat song, which is uh, one of the classics on You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again, and just some really, like, the obscure, like, bands that were on the, that that created that label, really, that are, you know, maybe maybe weren't the big bands, but the reason 
that, you know, the, the label got traction in the first place and could later on become so big, you know, but this is kind of, this is a few years prior to them becoming what they were going to become. And it's much more like punk and sky, you know, it's like RX bandits when they were, uh, you know, still very ska punk influenced, you know, a little less, uh, kind of jam banny, um, you know, and the same with the Wrens. There's a couple songs on there from when the Wrens were going to sign, um, which that's another weird one. That's, that to me would have been much weirder than like the Benjamins or RX Bandits were. Like, had uh, you know, had the Wrens been on Drive Through Records, it would have been interesting if you if you know anything about them. But uh, a couple of different versions of Wrens songs end up on the Meadowlands that are exclusive to that comp. So just a bunch of different special stuff. There's also like there's like an unreleased Phoenix TX song on there that I don't think ever to this day has never been released anywhere but that comp. There's just there's so many reasons why I love it. And I think I think the thing I love the most about it is the innocence of it. Like, welcome to the welcome to the family is like them at their peak, but but you know, you'll never eat fast food again is them kind of finding their footing and really starting out. You know, it's fun, it's a fun compilation. The songs are fun, the lyrics are cheesy, you know what I mean? Like like not all of them. I'm not saying all of them are, but it's like there's a lot of songs with just funny cheesy lyrics that a lot of bands had in you know those those like mid to late 90s that you know kind of kind of went away later on when bands got a little more serious but it's just a fun compilation and it's the layout and stuff too i mean you talk about how good they are with that stuff like welcome to the family like what a great design with the pizza box and all that and with you'll never eat fast food again it's just another really cool one. Like I love the front of it. It has this kind of like 1950 style to it. it. Has the old school drive-through records logo, not the one yep. everyone knows, but that real old fucking one. And yep. uh, you know, I, and the stories inside too. The liner notes in there are great. They're all stories from people writing in talking about terrible things they've did as fast food workers. Oh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, spitting spitting in people's food. Um, there was something about like how they prepared popcorn at this place, which is so funny. Now these people have to be like 40 or 50 at this point, but at the time, you know, we're like teenagers or like in their mid twenties kind of talking about the shit they did in like their college jobs and stuff. Just some really funny stuff that like, once again, solidified, I think how special that label was for people because it was something that you you know what I mean? Like you, you would read through the liner notes and you would get a kick out of it. And I think even Richard and Stephanie wrote stuff in there. You know, I mean, they were the ones with the idea for the, you know, given it's called, you'll never eat fast food again. And then all that stuff is in the liner notes. So it's like, it makes you like that label because it's an extension. You know, it's not just these songs are good. You start looking, you know, you start reading the stories inside. You're looking at the artwork. You're looking at the merch catalog it comes with. And that's, that's when you start to realize, you know, like how good that label is. And I feel like that compilation was also the first one. It's not the first compilation I ever heard, but I think that's where I started realizing how important those things are. That I went, because I learned so many bands, Mother Mania, Codinside, Last Summer, um, Cousin Oliver, all those bands I discovered from that compilation. And then from there, I went and found those bands. I found their full lengths. Then from there, I'd go find more bands. So it's like, you know, it's a domino effect. If I found this band through that comp, and then I found this band, then this band, then this band. And one of the funnest things, too, you have to hunt down. Some of those bands are so obscure just in the sense of, you know, they missed the whole internet thing. Like like half of those bands probably had like back in the day like a GeoCities or like Angel Fire account like fucking <laughs> way back, like way. Yeah. yeah, like things that you can't even find anymore, like that you might find on like a Wayback machine or something. 
But like back when that was like all you had online, long before MySpace or anything, like even even predating like Friendster and stuff. So it's like these aren't bands who like nowadays you can even like the Stellar Life. Like we're saying, go check out the Stellar Life. They may not have you put can. much. You can though. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you can go find some of that shit. Like they do have. They're but it's on, difficult. It is, but I mean, like, there's still like social media shit out there, and there's there's more out there now that you can find of a band from, say, like a more obscure band from, say, 2012 than you could from like a obscure band from 1998. Because those bands just didn't. All that stuff on the internet's been wiped out, and you know it was pre-social media. So like, Mother Mania is a good one where it's like I had to hunt down their record, and there's still so many albums of theirs. I can't. I don't even know what the album cover looks like. I know they exist because I've seen the names, but I don't know what yeah. the album covers look like. I don't know what the songs sound like. You can't find them. And like, I I got a ton of uh, Mother Mania stuff from the guy who used to run Montgomery Records, but I had to hunt it down, dude. Like, this was like four years after becoming a fan of Mother Mania. I bought something off him. I think like on eBay, and I'm just, I forget what I bought from him, but it was something that made me like kind of tip me off that he like had some kind of connection to Mother Mania. So I'm like, hey, man, do you have like anything else by chance? And he's like, oh, yeah, like I almost I think he almost like released some stuff from them after drive through or like something. He had some relation to him and sent me like all this Mother Mania music, like, like 50 songs or something like I hit the jackpot. But I'm telling that took me four years before that. I heard their full length on drive through records, the sound and the fury, which is great. That's also it's not on my top five. And that's kind of why I picked You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again because it's kind of it's kind of that blanket thing where I can kind of talk about all these all these bands that I love without trying to figure out which is my favorite because that's very hard to do. But, you know, yeah, like, you know, Mother Mania, Sound of the Fury is a great album, but that's all I heard forever. And, like, four years later, I finally found a guy who just so happened to have, like, 50 Mother Mania songs, you know, that, that I'd never heard. But it's like, you know, we're spoiled nowadays. You can find so many bands on Spotify and whatnot, and there's so many bands on You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again where if you want to go find them, you got to go hunt it down because some of those bands, some of them on there that weren't signed to drive through maybe had a 7-inch out or maybe a demo cassette. They didn't even have a full length. You know, at least with, like, Cousin Oliver and Mother Mania, you can go get, like, one full length. But same with, like, Last Summer. That one that one probably took the longest. I was hunting down Last Summer's Remember Those Days, their uh, only album on uh, Drive Through Records, and probably only their only record at all. They were originally called Supermarket All-Stars and were a great ska band and put out a bunch of stuff as them. But Last Summer didn't have very much out, and it's like that took me years, like literally years to track down a copy of Remember Those Days. I finally found one on eBay. I think I paid like 20 bucks for which when you think about it for an obscure album from a band that no one knows who no one knows who last summer is nobody does you probably have never listened to last summer like no one knows who the <laughs> hell that is and you You're still not wrong. yeah and you still got to pay 20 bucks you know to get their cd <clears throat> but that's that's what i that's what i love about this comp and it started that for me you know what i mean like it started my hunt for compilations and, you know, for, like, discovering these obscure bands and then going and hunting them down. And, you know, even to the point of, like, finding old members. Like, I've hit up so many members. And I know you have, too, for bands. It was like, I just hit them up and go, like, hey, I saw your name in the liner notes of this. Like, do you happen to be the bass player of, like, this band? And it's like, you know, sometimes you find music that way. You know, it's funny you do. Like, I've done that more than a few times where it's like I find some guy and I go, 
the name looks, you know, it's like it's the same name. And then it's like you start kind of like you kind of stalk, not stalk, but you, know, you kind of look through their social media for a second and go like, okay, like is there a picture from them in like 1998 touring with like, you know, a bunch of like random punk bands and stuff? Like you try to try to connect the dots and go, okay, the, was this person associated somehow? Okay, now I need to hit them up. And it's like, and this is shit now. This isn't like 90s stuff where people are talking about like doing this in the 90s where it's hard to like discover these bands. This is like present day. This is me in like 2011, 2012 doing this, like hunting down these bands, trying to find members of them to like ask them. Because also you can't find anything online. So it's like, okay, like you go find them. Say you find like the singer of one of those bands, you go, I know you had an album out on Drive Through Records. Was there anything else out? You know, because also you don't know. You can't find it. Like, for all I know, some of these bands put out a couple seven inches on, like, a local label, and you just, you know, you can't find it. You can't scour the internet and find it anymore. So it's like you got to find people who were there to, you know, even, even uh, you know, discover some of this. And I, I want to give a quick plug real quick, too, well, on the subject. But a good, a good person has a great show about this, Mike Doyle from the band uh, Lane Meyer. Great band, too. Um, but he does a show called This Was the Scene. I talk a lot about like New Jersey punk and ska from the early 2000s and uh, late 90s. This whole podcast is on this. And that dude toured with all those bands. So, I mean, he's he's kind of doing what I'm talking about. And I love him for doing this. He's been doing it for a couple of years. But he interviews those guys, like hour-long conversations with people in these bands that I'm talking about that are so goddamn obscure but were so good. You know, they were maybe never huge. Maybe they were huge locally but they predate that internet era and they're hard to find any information on. So, you know, I mean, really more, more power and respect to Mike for doing an entire show where, you know, he kind of talks to these guys and I won't even say hunt down. Cause I think he's friends with a lot of them, you know, toured with a lot of them back in the day, but it's great to have someone documenting that stuff because it would be lost, you know, same without welcome or not welcome to the family. Same with uh, you'll never eat fast food again. You know, without that, there's so many bands I never would have, you know, discovered. And then with that, I would never would have discovered, more bands that I discovered through that. So, you know, that's easily why it's my favorite. You know, that compilation, extremely special and, and also really did kickstart kind of the uh, my love for drive through records. Not even my first drive through comp. I had I had the drive through Invasion comp and a couple others before that. But the, I actually, Welcome to the Family I had before. The, no, I didn't. I take that back. Actually, here, here's what's funny, and I just remembered this. I bought I bought You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again Early on, it was one of the first drive-through comps, but I forgot about it. I bought it because Newfound Glory was on there. Didn't really listen to it, and then a few years later, I got into Phoenix TX, and they were on there. So I went back and listened to it. It was one of those things where I kind of bought it because it was cheap, and then didn't really think about it again. And then a few years later, it's like I realized it, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Like I love drive-through records, and I mean that that really did. Like I, I think back to like 2011. And, uh, you know, you'll never eat fast food again was a huge reason why back then I think I really got into the label and, you know, why we're, why we're sitting here, you know, talking for three hours about drive through records, you know, because, because of that compilation. So I have a lot, I I have a lot that I owe to it. I'm indebted to it. You know, it taught me a lot about an era too, makes me very nostalgic. You know, people used to discover bands that way. And, uh, I kind of went back and did the same thing that they did back in the day. So, you know, kind of kind of cool in that way. But, yeah, you'll never eat fast food again. My favorite comp of all time and uh, also my favorite drive through records release. Um, have you have you ever listened to that comp or no? Of course, I own it. I actually. Oh, hell yeah. So when I saw Newfound Glory <laughs> back in November of 2019, I actually. Uh, um, 
what was it? Cyrus came out and I was just like talking to everyone and like a cool fact that like is a cool tie into all this. Um, so I, I got You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again uh, signed by Cyrus. Oh, nice. And he actually wrote the riff, the guitar riff for Hit or Miss. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote like the, the four chord power the the four chord like power chord riff yeah he wrote that um but um one cool fact that i'm actually including in like a short story that i'm writing um when i met cyrus he was just such a nice guy he was just talking about everything and nothing with all of his friends or like all of his fans and um, it was only, like, three of us that were just, like, really interested in, like, talking to him. And then one thing he told me, because I, I was telling him that, like, I was obviously a big Blink fan. And that uh, Six and Stones was my favorite album. And he told me that he broke his arm in October of 2001. And that he was, like, trying to heal it as fast as, they, as, fast as he could. Because uh, he was set to record Sticks and Stones in uh, January 2002. And uh, it was like like up to the wire. Um, like when he could like go into the studio. And Travis Barker from Blink-182 was set to record drums on um, Sticks and Stones. Wow. And um, three days before... Uh, Cyrus healed like uh, or three days before uh, the album was set to like be taken to the studio Cyrus came in and like uh, redid his drum parts but Cyrus told me that he kind of kept a nod to that uh, where Travis Barger was kind of redoing his drum parts where he was doing like I, I don't really understand that much about drumming but he did like a bell ride. He he called it like a bell ride or like a uh, a crash ride. I guess a crash cymbal ride during the bridge of understatement. Like while the heavy part's going and like there's just like a cymbal going in the background. That's what he told me. He said that he kept that as a nod to Travis Barker, uh, almost recording drums on the album. Oh, that is sick. Now, <clears throat> now did he? Did Travis go in? Did it, did it get to that where Travis did They go? demoed it. They Apparently did they demoed it. Holy shit. So I wonder, like. I, I would love to hear those. Yeah. Because well, those don't exist. I was about to, I was trying to think if they're anywhere, but I've never heard those anywhere. Like no, no, they're probably not exi- non-existent. I bet they'll see the light of day one day. For like the 30th anniversary reissue, we'll finally get them. You know, that's funny because that's another band. When you think about it, like. Newfound Glory and Blink-182 are two bands that, I mean, like, there's B-sides out there, but there's not many demos. You know what I mean? Like, you can't find a lot of, like, demos for either of them. I know there's, like, a few. Like, I know there's, like, a couple Enema of the State demos when, like, Scott Rayner was still in the band. Like, but there's not, you know, like, Blink-182 is another band where there's some bands who release these deluxe editions, and you get, like, every single demo they've ever done, the home recording, this and that. They've really never done that with Blink-182 or really Newfound Glory. You know, those are two bands you really can't find a lot of that stuff. And I'd be interested to hear that. I mean, that's it's crazy because 
I mean, Cyrus and Travis are both punk drummers, and I don't think they're terribly different in sound, but that would still be interesting. Because, like, Travis is, like, the way he plays, you would wonder how different that would sound. Because what I will say is Travis does a lot more fills. But more than anyone, not I'm not saying that, like, you know, Cyrus doesn't do, like, drum fills and shit. Travis Barker's style, though, is that. You know, he does a lot of fills and improvising and stuff. It would be interesting to hear, yeah, what that, what that album would have sounded like. And then kind of funny then, you know, connecting that then, what's funny is uh, – if I'm not mistaken, Travis Barker played drums on the last Goldfinger record, but Cyrus That's is correct. the one. Yeah, and Cyrus is the one who was their live drummer. So Cyrus is out playing Travis's parts when he uh, does the Goldfingers. That's pretty rad, actually. That's a that's a really cool story. I, I that is that is fucking cool, actually. Not really well known either. I don't think. I don't think many people know that that Travis Barker was set to record on there. And then I was going to mention it earlier, isn't? Uh, Something I call personality, right? I think uh, Mark Hoppus plays bass on that. He plays bass on actually. So I actually clarified this with Cyrus when I was talking about them. Clarify away. So I thought that Mark Hoppus just played bass on the bridge of the song Mm -hmm. because I could barely hear the bass on um, the song of the bridge, and I I told Cyrus I was like, you know. I own a Mark Hoppus production model and I don't really think he has great tone and uh, it actually, I believe it can't really cut through a mix very well. And um, he was like, funny enough, uh, Mark actually played bass throughout the whole song. Like that's him playing bass throughout the whole song of uh, something I call personality, but he played it on Ian's bass uh, Ian, the bass player of Newfound Glory, because he just thought it matched the tone better of the album. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. So I always thought, like, Mark just played the bass uh, for, like, the bridge of the song, but he played the bass for the entirety of the song with Ian, Ian Gresh's bass. Oh, that's really cool. And then he ended up, uh, a couple al- albums later, he ended up producing them with uh, Not Without a Fight. Mark was a producer yeah, on. Yeah, that's a really good album, too. That is, including later era, like New Found Glory, that was, that including coming off of uh, Coming Home, you know, I feel like that was a good, it was kind of like, you know, going going back to their roots, if you will, in a lot of ways. There, there are. I was listening to that recently. That one actually does hold up really well. I was listening to it, like, just a few days ago, actually. Um, drive around listening to it, and that that one really does hold up well. Some of their best songs, actually, really, I I do say that I don't think it's their best album. I think there's some of their best songs on it. There's a couple where I would probably say those are really solid, including singles. I think uh, "Listen to Your Friends" is a pretty solid as far as their singles go throughout the years. I think that's one of their uh, catchier ones. But yeah, that's a that's a great record. You can tell it's Mark Hoppus too on uh, something I call personality. Because I always say, Mark Hoppus's signature, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I love it. He likes playing fifths, and you can hear it on the uh, in the bridge. He's playing those fifths on bass. Basically, yeah. basically, I guess for people listening, um, if you know what a power chord is, like the name of the show, is uh, and this, you know this is just going to be more confusing. But basically, a root and a fifth is a power chord, and bass plays the root note normally, but not the fifth. So what Mark normally does is we'll play them, but not together. So you hear that like dun 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 dun, and that that's really not a fifth. 
but it's like that kind of going back and forth like that. He does that so much, including on bridges. Like, what's my age again is a good example of that. He does the bridge of that has that the whole time. He's doing the same thing. And uh, he does that in a lot of songs. That's kind of his, you know, because Mark doesn't really do fills a lot, but he'll normally add that in. He's normally a guy who kind of plays more in the pocket, does more uh, root notes, but he'll kind of throw that in to break it up. You know, instead of kind of doing like moving bass lines, he'll throw a fifth in there, I've always noticed. So that's kind of like his calling card, in my opinion. And yeah, you can you can hear it on something I call personality. But great song, great album. I mean, a lot of good cameos, too. Also, uh, Matt and Danny from Alkaline Trio, they're on that record. Uh, I know. Uh, what is it? Um, oh, I'm tra- that's why I didn't say the name, because off the top of my head, I forgot no, what song no, it was. I, I, do, I, I do know what song Wait, Matt is it? features on. It's um, Don't Tell Me. No, I'm, I'm going to... I love that album, so I have to know it. I think it's the um, song after Sunny. Oh, my God. Hold on. I, I got and it. And if I had the chance, had the chance to do it all again, that song. It's, well, the song after Sunny is something I call personality, but I think it's Forget My Name. Yes, it is. That is Forget My Name. It is, And we forgot the name. We we forgot the name of the song, but that is the name of it. Forget my name, yeah, and uh, yeah, that has them. And then also, I think Toby Morse from H Two O also is like on a song. And they have a couple. You know, I think there's someone else. I can't think off the top of my head. I think there's like another cameo on there too. There's some really good ones. It's funny because a lot of those drive-through bands had cameos like on albums that you don't realize. Like say it like you mean it has. Uh, Nate from Finch does all the uh, screaming on it. You know, there's not a lot of on, screaming. On this ride. Yeah, on this ride. And then what's the other one? There's another song on there with, like, literally he screams, like, one word. It's like at the end of a bridge. He's, like, he's like screaming whatever Kenny's singing. But uh, he's on there He's on there twice. You know, like, little, little, uh, little things like that throughout, which I always think are interesting on albums. Oh, another one. Uh, when I was talking to Joe from Hidden in Plain View, the, the key, there's not a lot of piano. But there's a little bit of piano on uh, Life and Dreaming, and that's all Andrew McMahon. Apparently, he told me uh, they were working on this is this is after this is after uh, something corporate. He was working on the first Jack's Mannequin record, and uh, he came to the studio and uh, played some keys on uh, Life and Dreaming. I can't even think of the songs off the top of my head. I'm trying to think what songs in there even have piano, but uh, whichever ones do, he played all the piano on. So that's always interesting when you find that out. You know, the, like. Some of the behind the scenes where it's like you have these really cool musicians who came in and, you know, only sang like a line or played like a bar of music or something. But, uh, yeah, I always think that's very interesting. But that is our list then. So, I mean, real quick, let's run back down at my top five favorite releases of Drive Through Records. Movie Life has a gambling problem at five. Number four, Life and Dreaming by Hidden in Plain View. Number three, The Starting Line, Say It Like You Mean It. Number two, my boys, The Benjamins with Art of Disappointment. And my number one drive through records release of all damn time, and I mean all damn time, is uh, the, the compilation You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again. You want to run down yours real quick again, dude? Of course. Uh, my number one or my number five would be Welcome to the Family, the compilation. Uh, buy it if you can. Secondhand if you can get it. It's fucking exclusive as fuck, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> motherfuckers by the seller life uh we will be including hate your guts a super exclusive track that actually no one's ever heard before aside from richard the starting line or oh shit richard the the seller life yeah they're both tsls they're both tsls dude yeah 
yeah, they're both, and we've also been on this podcast for like three hours too. So I'm a little tired. <laughs> it's, all it's also good. like it's also midnight. So uh, motherfuckers, um, the so life, and we're gonna include "Hate Your Guts," which is a song that's never been released before. My number three is "What It Is to Burn" by Finch. Obviously, that's a hardcore pop punk album. Six and Stones is my number two by Newfound Glory. If you haven't heard that album, I genuinely think that's the album you should listen to first. I agree even with that. Even though it's not my number one, I think that that's the album you should listen to all the way through if you want to listen to Drive Through Records because I just think that it's the most polished and like. The thing between uh, you and me, you like a little more rough sounding records. I like polished records. And um, I think that, like, I think that's the best album to start off on because it's polished and it's a punk record. And uh, my number one is obviously, like, Say It Like You Mean It because it's a great pop punk album. And. It got me through some stuff in college, and we both ag- and I think we can both safely agree that uh, we think we think the best advice for anyone out there listening is to go get a long distance relationship, fuck it up, and uh, relate to that album because it's a or, great album. Or if you're in a long distance relationship, don't listen to Anthony. <laughs> if you're if you're in a long distance relationship, listen to this record. It might you might make you a little more emo. Definitely don't text your ex about how. <laughs> You're, it's making you a little more emo. Zach's but, life advice corner. Uh, it will literally, like, you'll relate to it if you're in a long-distance relationship because I genuinely believe that's what the album's about. I like Honestly, like, I really like that, dude, because I, I just didn't really think of it before, even though, like, everything's kind of there. But you're totally right. I, I see where that, uh, you know, that kind of lays into there. So yeah, I mean, like like you said too. I mean, we've been we've been at this here for a while. This has been a lot of fun. We're gonna start to close it out before before we uh, close it all out though, and play you some stellar life, real quick, man. I mean, there's so many drive-through bands that have uh, you know broken up, kind of gotten a lot of them reunited since on and off. But I mean, what's a drive-through band that you would like? You can even if you got a couple, you can even say a few if you got them. But it's like a couple or one that you'd like to see reunite and like write music. Not like I said, a lot of them reunite, play shows here and there. Who would you like to hear new music from in 2020? Where you go? It's been all these years; they could probably still put something good out. Well, I'm gonna exclude Newfound Glory because they've. New yeah, they don't count. Putting out an album this summer. Yeah, like they like they're still together. So yeah, that that one I doesn't love, really count. Okay, to be honest, I would love to hear a full pop punk album from the starting line. I like that. So something kind of more like say it like you mean it. Like they kind of yeah, go back I, to. I would that. love to hear like a full like like kind of like nodding to their past a little bit. I'd like um, to hear that. I think that would be really cool. Um, and you know. I think it'd be really cool. I, I heard it's rumored that the seller life is working on new music, but you know, that's just how like independent musicians are. Like, I don't know if that will happen. So that that's just a side note, but I would love to hear new stuff from Finch as well. 
That'd be a good one. I liked I liked the record, their reunion record back in like 2014. What was it? Is it anywhere but here? I think's the name of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's that, correct. It's a good record. It's it's much more mature. But actually, though, it is kind of a a good combination of what it is to burn and say hello to sunshine. It's kind of like in the middle there, where I think it's kind of appeasing to both. You know, like if you're a fan of like both of those records, I feel like they were kind of in the middle there, and uh, put out a really good one. It's tough, man. They don't seem – they get back together, break up, get back together, break up. So it's like – but you know what? The the fact is they have gotten together enough where they have written stuff since. So, I mean, that one's not so crazy. You know what I mean? Like that one – we may not get anything this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got another Finch you know, record in our lifetimes. I don't think that's a band who's like never going to release something ever again. <laughs> You know, yeah. I could definitely see them doing that. Any others uh, uh, off the top of your head? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, t- to be honest, I would love to hear like, at least an EP from something corporate. That would be cool. Ooh, you know what? I like that you said EP because I think that's more doable. I don't think we'll ever get a full length yeah. from them, but yeah, I'm with you where it's like, oh, how about no. how about two or three songs? You know what I mean? Like, like they can even do one of those things where I feel like a lot of bands do where it's like they put out a reunion EP like that, and it's like, well, it's one or two songs that they had written years ago that never got recorded, and then maybe they write like one or two new songs. You know, not asking for a lot, just a couple new, you know, a couple new tracks. And uh, yeah, I, I think an EP would be doable. I know they did that reunion in 2010, which I sadly missed, but... Uh, they really haven't done anything since then. I know Andrew McMahon plays uh he still plays some of those something corporate songs live. I I interviewed Bobby Vaughn a few years ago from the Promise Hero and he was a roadie actually on Jack or not Jack on uh Andrew's first his first tour as Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. He was like his I can't remember he was like his production assistant or something on there, but he said that he would play Constantine some nights and he would play different like something corporate songs. So I know he plays them live. But to get that band back together and play some shows would be amazing. And, yeah, do like an EP. Because, yeah, I, and I like you said EP because, once again, it's like I don't think we're ever going to get a full length. But, hey, give us a few songs. Throw us a fucking bone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I like your list. Um, I mean, what? who was I just thinking? One just popped in my head, too. Now I totally – one that's never going to happen. This is like a dream one, but I don't think will ever happen is Midtown. I would love a new Midtown record. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'll be realistic. Um, Hidden in Plain View, well, we know we're getting new music, so I'm stoked for that. Joe Joe premiered that on the show, so I'm really excited for that because they're a band who has done things on and off through the years, just like Finch, where I go, they could still write a good record. It's the same with Finch. Finch has put stuff out throughout the years where I go, they could still put out a good record. There's certain bands that haven't put out music in forever where you go, well, I'd like to hear new music, but is it going to be any good? Um, another one, I would really like to hear the Benjamins. I don't think they're another one where they would probably put out an EP. Like they put that EP out a few years ago and they don't hate each other. I mean, they play shows every now and then. And it's like, I think they all kind of have a soft spot for that band, you know, even though, you know, they, they just put out the one album, you know, they still do things from time to time. So I wouldn't be surprised if we ever got new music from them. I don't think we'd ever get like a new record, but they're another like that fall in that EP category where it's like, I wouldn't be surprised we got a new EP and I'd be very stoked for that sometime. And, uh, 
I mean, another one, I mean, look at, I mean, I'm being realistic. Like Mother Mania is never going to put anything out, Caught Inside, Cousin Oliver. But you know what? Those bands also, I don't know that anything would sound good in 2020. Like, and it's not me being shitty. It's like I, True. those are ska bands from, you know, 20 some from like 25 years ago that I just don't think in 2020 are going to sound that good. I, Cousin Oliver is not going to write a, write a, you know, follow up to 818 in, in, you know, 25 years later. Just not going to happen. And that's fine. Um, I, you know what though, probably the, the biggest one to me though, I would say Phoenix TX because they put out a really good, the creep EP that they put out in 2016 was really good. And that was new stuff. That wasn't, you know, like I was saying, some bands put out like an EP and it's a couple songs they've had lying around for years and never got recorded and shit. Phoenix TX wrote new songs. They wrote new material. And I believe with the Lechuza lineup and it was amazing. I mean, it was like they, it was like they didn't miss a beat. It was like, this was, it was good and it was mature too. It was, it was Phoenix TX grown up, but not too grown up. You know, like it wasn't like they were more mature than before, but it wasn't like boring or anything. They were still a great punk rock band. So that would probably be like my number one for that. But uh, yeah, so I mean, those are a couple as far as that goes. So, I mean, kind of closing out here, man, you know, we're going to play that Stellar Life song. And like I mentioned, you got your band Kickstart and whatnot. I mean, you kind of want to mention here, I mean, free reign, dude, you know, kind of promote yourself here if you'd like. Where can where can people find you, dude, if they go, this Zach guy is a real swell dude, and I've enjoyed hearing his musical opinions, and they would like to they would like to say hello or something. Where can they find well, you, Zachary? <laughs> they can find me at Zachary Gorshesky on Facebook. They you want to spell your me. last name real quick? Yeah, I'll, I'll spell it at the end. They can find me as Zachary Gorshesky on LinkedIn in case they want to make a, a business connection if they're that kind of person. Um, lastly, um, I do have a band, and we're making a comeback for the first time in like four years. I just found a new drummer. Uh, we just start working in the same marketing department. He's a really nice guy. And I think we're about to make some really good music because he's kind of pushing me into like a new direction that like I wouldn't really have gone in without him. And um, it's going to be really good. But I've been sitting on some music that he is going to record drums on. Uh, but I've been sitting on this music for like four or five years, maybe realistically, probably like four years. Um, but I plan on releasing a single this summer, uh, June or July called to the contrary. It's about proving people wrong when they doubt you. And it's just like the feeling you get when you prove someone wrong and you're right. And you just kind of feel like, you just kind of feel like on fire, but like against them. And I know that's kind of a weird way to describe it, but you, you just kind of feel like just good in a way that nothing else could, that you couldn't do for yourself. And I, I just feel like that's what to the contrary is about. It's like, proving people wrong and i hope that that single is going to be out this summer and that's all kickstart is going to be doing right now we're working on some other songs and i hope that we can get them out 
I want to do another single later this summer, but I hope to get out like at least an EP by like fall. People want to listen. Like, I mean, is your is the older Kickstart stuff available anywhere? They want to go listen to anything else too. Yeah. So uh, the stuff I record in high school with like completely different band members, but similar tone, I guess. Like more, uh, I guess, just like earlier tone. Um, you would look up Kickstart Subdue, S U V D U E, on Bandcamp. And uh, just to, like, find me through it, it would be Zach Gorshevsky, G-O-R-I-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I, Gorshevsky. Um, and you can literally just find anything that I'm doing through that, whether it's, like, one-line drawings or pop-punk songs or emo songs or, like, even a fucking country song. Who even knows? Damn, like, dude, I'm you're going country? A little bit, a little <laughs> bit. I think sometimes I surprise myself. So. Fucking punk goes country, dude. I don't think that's been I, I made su- yet, has it? Has punk goes country? That's not a compilation yet. That's that's. I, I don't think so. I surprise <laughs> myself sometimes, though. I think maybe me and you should do it. We'll we'll do a whole fucking. We'll do all drive through record songs. We'll make them all country like. That'll be. I'm fun. not against it. I'm not against <laughs> it. I I guess I wouldn't be against it unless it sounds really fucking bad. If it sounds like Americana or something. Not because now in my head I'm thinking of us doing it's not even country. I'm thinking of us doing like fucking like Mumford and Sons versions of like drive through record songs, and that sounds terrible Dude, tell in my me, head. T- in my head, it sounds fucking awesome. Uh, there's something wrong with your head, dude, because that sounds like total shit to me. <laughs> We're like playing banjos and stuff. We're just up there fucking banjos singing "You Were Everything I Wanted." Fucking so- sounds good to me. <laughs> okay maybe all right maybe i'm the weirdo here maybe i don't have the we're gonna have to ask richard richard and stephanie like we we're just saying really good at uh signing it, it really smell it sniffing out good talent so we're gonna have to ask them is this the next money maker can we uh can we do mumford and sons versions of uh, all these songs and destroy the beautiful legacy that you have created by uh, butchering these songs <laughs> with a fucking banjo but uh but yeah, so I mean, find Zach all those places. You can find me in the show at Power Chord Hour. We're YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. Um, we're we're everywhere online at Power Chord Hour. You'll find it all. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast wherever you're listening to it, but you can find it anywhere you get your pods. And we're also a radio show. Don't forget that. And uh, we're Power Chord Hour on 107.9 WRFA every Friday night at 10 Eastern. You know, we do a lot of talking here, obviously, and that's a little more music heavy. You go there, I spin you songs, I tell you some music news, talk to you a little bit, but I definitely play more music here. We talk more about music, and uh, this has been a blast talking to Zach. So, man, before we uh, get into the song, anything else you want to add? Enjoy Hate Your Guts by The Solar Life. All right, man, that is, I, I like that. So right now we got thanks to Zach, so if you like this, Say thank you to him, and if you don't like it, say uh, I guess say fuck you to him. You got you got his yeah. you got his handle now. Send me a DM, be like, fuck you, I hate you. This song sucks, but actually, you'll never say that because this song's fucking awesome. I might say it just because I think it'd be funny. I think this song is awesome, but I might still DM you and tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> as you always do. <laughs> yeah, as I always do. Oh, also, powercordhour@gmail.com. Hit me up because, like I was saying, people really have hit me up on here about like when I talk about drive through and a lot of those like old uh, punk labels. 
they love it. Like people, people love those labels just as much as we do. And I love to hear from people who are into that stuff. So hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. Let, let me know what you think about the episode. Let, let me know your top five favorite drive through releases. You know, be a part of the show with us. And maybe I'll read them on uh, our next episode. Maybe talk about them next time. But uh, that is going to be it. This has been a lot of fun and uh, actually probably going to be a two-parter here. This, is a, this, this has been a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun talking to Zach. Go check him out. Go check out Kickstart. And go check out all these rad drive through bands. Go support them all. And uh, right now on the Power Chord Hour, we got the stellar life with Hate Your Guts. Talking like she cares at all. It was dead from the start, then it fell apart. Little did I know that she'd make things clear. Yeah, I'm so last year. Little did I know that she's so cold, that she's so cold. you